All right, here we go, everybody. We are in the final week of our summer series called Ask It, and I'm excited to engage today with you. And if you missed some of this series, we've got a lot of great conversations we've been engaging in that's on our website, it's on our podcast. You can go back and listen to it. But we've been pursuing the question that answers just about, just about everything that we engage with in our life. Uh, to give us wisdom. And so what we're, uh, just learn how to make decisions and all these different types of things. So we're learning to ask the question, what is the wise thing to do? What is the wise thing to do? And then we've been specifically uh, looking at it in these, this way, is that in light of my past experience, in light of my current circumstances, and my future hopes and dreams, what is the wise thing to do? We've learned to look at how you've interacted with something in the past. Have you typically foolish in this way? You know, you make, you know, when it comes to this environment or this people or whatever it may be, like you make, will adjust accordingly. What's going on in your life? Are you too busy? Is your calendar already full? Do you feel like you're overloaded? Well, maybe you don't take on a new responsibility. And then you think about your future. Our future really defines so much of what we do now. We look ahead to who we want to be, who we've been called to be. And what we should do and what we long to see, and it helps us to make decisions now. And we don't sacrifice, we don't give up our future for what we want most in the moment. It gives us the strength to say no or confidence to say yes. And so we're learning to ask it. And so I was thinking this week um, about what I'm talking about today, and I was thinking about my kids' artwork. Now, now, just, just if you don't have children, or that feels like very far away from you, but for those of you who do have children, there's this thing that happens that you just are constantly, and you do this subconsciously and, and, and very consciously all at the same time, but we're all looking for how our kid is going to become a genius, okay? Like from the beginning, you're on genius alert. Like, I think my kid's going to be a prodigy, but like, there's something in it to say, like, I know that, like, I, I, I did pretty good with my life, you know, but, you know, my parents, you know, what, you know, you know, but then, like, I, but we know all these genes, the, you know, the DNA has come together and it's happening, and we're, I'm not kidding, like, oh, they walked at eight months, everybody else is, like, usually 12, like, something's going on, like, they're a walking genius, I don't know, like, it's showing something, and so, like, you know, oh, they said their first word, and, like, like and it's however they do it, you think it's going to be, and so, I don't know if it's going to be, like, the piano prodigy, or, like, you know, the, 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 the scientist, or, like, you know, Dewey, Doogie Hauser, the next, you know, whatever version of that's going on now, you know, so, like, so, we're, I'm not kidding. And so they come home with a, a piece of art from school, and you're like, oh, that might be it. Like, until then, you haven't seen the genius, but then you see this painting, and it looks amazing. Like, second grade, third grade, this happens to us. I'm not kidding. Like, you think, well, maybe the, like, Picasso art is so, it's so expensive now, and like, like, like when you do all these things, like you, the wheels start turning, I think this is it. And it's totally selfish, by the way. You think about, like, the money that's going to come in and all that, you know, so... I, you think I'm kidding, but it's totally true. If you, you parents, you won't admit it, but you think like this, all right? So I'll just admit it for all of us. And, but the artwork is the big one, okay? And so they, they come home, and you're like, whoa, like, how did that happen? Like, this is like, it's, it, all the things are perfectly aligned, the, the colors and the shades. I know what that looks like, and like, and, 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 and you think this, this has got some raw talent. And then you go to parent night. Or whatever thing's happening at your school, and you walk in the library, and then you see, like, all, or, you know, whatever, the art room or wherever, the gym, they've got everything on display, and all the kids' artwork, and you see a whole wall of the exact same picture that looks just as amazing as theirs, or you saw last year's, and you're like, wait a minute, 
I saw that last year. That was the genius painting. And then you see, wait, every kid in this school is going to be a genius. And then you're like, oh, oh, there's an art teacher. And this art teacher knows how to teach them, knows what it should look like, knows what should go first, knows the, the, you know, the kind of color mixing that you need to have for this project and how to stay in the lines and how to you know, crop it out, so to speak. And, and then like, there's, a, there's a person guiding them to beyond what they typically would ever be able to do on their own. And you can go back and look at, well, what did they do on their own? And it looks a little different. The lines are not, you know, not there. And blurry, you know, like, and you just realize, oh, there was somebody guiding them. And it's amazing for someone guiding, an expert guiding them what they're going to do. And, it's, it, we, it, and we think about this with, with our own lives. It, it, it correlates. See, for you, you and I, we, we started with this blank canvas, so to speak. And you are painting a picture entitled, Your Life, Your Life. And much like painting, it's a series of decisions. And so you and I, we don't get to hide by our early endeavors. We don't get to, like, put them up in the attic like we try. <laughs> like, we, you know, we go through your social timeline, whatever, and whatever you need to do, like, we try to put that stuff, like, that artwork, whatever. No, you and I, we get one canvas. And you are either going to do it yourself or you'll let someone, an expert, guide your hand. Like if your kid is a piano prodigy or whatever, you know, that, like if that were to happen, what do you need? You still need an expert. And it's usually just one area. There's nobody... That's the superman, right? The superwoman that comes in and, and is like the expert in every field. We need it for every area of our life. And so, you know, as much as it seems funny to think about how someone's going to become a master, you know, a master at something just all, right off the bat, it's ridiculous to think we can, we can create a masterpiece without anybody guiding us. What about our lives? What about our lives? We need someone to guide us. So if you think about this, just logically, this is true. Like to make wise decisions in any area requires an understanding of and a submission to the principles that and the rules that govern that area. And that was a big statement that I just totally messed up, all right? So like, but it requires, you got to understand how something works. You got to submit to the principles and rules that govern whatever area this is. This is all across the board for us, right? So in coaching, you got to know the fundamentals, the rules of the games, and submit to the rules to make good calls. You got to understand all of that to help teach someone, train them, and to make good calls when the game is happening. If you're a tax planner, wise tax advice, we're, you're assuming they know the tax laws and are familiar with that you got to have all that. And a doctor, a doctor's use their judgment, but it's based on an, an informed way of how your body works and the procedures that are available. You need someone who knows. Driving, driving is the same thing. Like, you got to submit to these rules. Flying a plane, like there's a consistency in the laws that planes submit to. And, you, and, and to take off, you got to know how all of that works and how fast you need to go. And all these different things. 
like anything you can think of. And so those principles and rules inform the decision-making process for what you need to do. They create the context for good judgment. And that is wisdom. Knowing and submitting to the rules and principles. That creates wisdom. And when we ignore them, we pay. We fail. We lose a game. A bridge collapses. You get a letter from the IRS. A flag is thrown in a football game or the spaghetti just didn't taste right. Like There's something that you missed. What was that? And so we do this. We understand this in all these different arenas of our lives, right? The things that we do, our jobs that you attend, like that we are constantly aware of this. And we do this in just about every area except our hearts, our lives, our actual self. And we want to make wise life decisions. And how do you do this? We can put that screen back up, but the wise life decisions require an understanding and a submission to the principles and rules that govern life, just like everything else. If we don't know them, the principles, the cause and effect and the boundaries, how could we possibly make wise life decisions? And I think this is what we're constantly chasing after, right? Like we, we're, we're seeking this, this certain thing that you can drink or wear, put on, and different things that help connect us to better health and all these different things. We're constantly looking and finding out about these things. And it's fascinating to see this. We see this all throughout Scripture. And so what, what we understand and what I want to show you today is that wisdom... Wisdom begins with submission to God. Wisdom begins with submission to God. And if you're someone who does not believe in God, you're on that way, I want to invite you into why this is true. I want to invite you into this conversation. For those of us who do follow Christ and are pursuing Him, we need, we need to be reminded and to understand this. And hopefully, this brings us to this. And we've been reading a lot of in this whole series, in the book of Proverbs, from Solomon who wrote Proverbs and several uh, scriptures that we call the wisdom scriptures. It's an, I mean, it's amazing. Like, he's specifically one of the most wise people that ever lived, and his wisdom still impacts us today. Like, you can read through Proverbs and do one chapter a day every single month, and you will gain wisdom in your life, and it'll apply to something always, all the time. And this was written several thousand years ago. It's amazing. And he was someone who was, who was a Jewish king. He was one of the most successful kings ever and brought peace throughout his entire region because of the wisdom that he had. And he knew these principles that he's teaching us, and he still defied the principles and the rules that he talked about. <laughs> he, he pursued all the aftertime. He decided to engage that. And he suffered the consequences that he said that you would suffer. He went after his appetites in every way imaginable. And he came, eventually came full circle. And if he needs this, by the way, if, like I've said that before, if he needed to, to be reminded of these things, how much more do we need to? But he eventually comes forward and says, wisdom begins with submission to God. Proverbs 9.10 says this. He says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So what's fear? Well, fear is this recognition and reverence. 
Recognition and reverence that leads to submission. And this reverence is not just for his knowledge and his power, but for who he is, for his position, which is God. It's God. I don't revere him as a Christ follower, believing in him for what he knows or what he's done, because he is God. He is the ultimate. So it's not this evaluation or consideration for me. It's like, like, well, if this makes sense or if I understand it, if it suits me, then I will do this. Now, what this is, is a call to recognize, call to recognize God, the creator of the world, the principles that are in place, the laws that govern how our world works, how you and I work. He's the parameter maker. We recognize him as God and we respond accordingly. Look at the second part of Proverbs 9.10. It says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Knowledge of God is understanding. So we could restate this. To say the knowledge of God and His ways brings us understanding about life. It brings us understanding about life. Solomon is showing us that to make wise decisions in life requires submission to the author of life. We see this all throughout Scripture. Psalm 111.10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All who follow His precepts have good understanding. Isn't that amazing? All who follow His precepts have good understanding. So literally, this is saying, those who do His commands will gain understanding. We allow Him to guide our hand especially when guidance is not intuitive, we will stand back eventually and look at this painting and see what's happening and go, oh, (laughs) wow. And that's not always easy. We are learning to trust him, and that means stepping out in faith sometimes. We're like, okay, God, I get this. And you want to learn, and he's calling us forward to take a step, take a step, and take a step. And so we see all throughout scriptures is this story and this dialogue of God saying, this is who I am and you can trust me. I want you to take a step. You can trust me. If you walk away from this, you're going to walk into destruction. Believe me, you can trust me. And this whole story of God's pursuit of us and us being like, nope, I think this is better. And then walking into the destruction and our own desires and our appetites that blow it up and like, and him coming back to us and saying, no, come back. Trust me. I want to restore this. I want to restore this. So God is learning to lead us into trusting him in this kind of wisdom that we can find. And yes, so that says, like, there's a wisdom. If you follow him and pursue them, you will gain knowledge about life. And so there, I see this happening in me. I, I, I've learned some principles, and I look to others, and I have this mindset of learning to ask it like we've been talking about. And my wife and I will get questions from people, whether they're of faith or not, like, how do you parent this way? How did this turn out in this way? And, and we see people seeking us for wisdom, and we try to do the exact same thing. 
We've learned to pursue wisdom in both from those who are Christ followers and those who are not Christ followers. Jesus said that to us. That was one of his teachings. He told us, he's like, pay attention to the shrewdness in the world around you because you will learn. You will gain wisdom from this. But it's also a mistake, and this is really important to point out, just to think that, well, because I believe in God, then I'm wise. And there's a lot of people who start thinking that way. Because I believe in God and all these different things, and all these things that I just proclaim are going to be true, and, and, like, and I have this knowledge about life, and then they make foolish decisions, sometimes publicly and out loud. And we think we don't need help in this many times, and that's actually called being a fool. It's ironically the opposite of what Scripture is teaching us and what we've been talking about in this series. We see a lot of people do this, right, publicly, out loud, in our world. And so Paul, this is why Paul, when he wrote the letter to the Romans, he spent like two or three or four chapters just specifically engaging the religious because we are so prone to pride and thinking we've got it all figured out. And it's actually a sin that is, as I said, ironically, the opposite of what it means to ask it. There's a humility that comes with saying, God, you are the one that ultimately knows. And I am limited, and I need you. And not only that, you are the greatest thing that I can pursue. But it, I just honestly, we've talked about this. this is, it's not easy to live that way. And to get to a place where you say, God, I follow you. Your principles are what I want in my life, no matter what people around me say. Like, you are the greatest. And we take, like, what, what makes us want to do that? How do we get to the place? Well, for me, he is the greatest that I can pursue. And I love him. And he is beautiful. And I, that's why I am following him. What brings you and I to the place to follow him like this? Well, it's getting to that understanding and recognition that he, who he is, that he is God and that he knows. So yes, he gives us wisdom. And, and if you don't even believe in God and you follow some of these principles, you will receive benefit from it. But we have to be careful, number one, with our pride. But the second thing we need to be careful about is is that we think that God exists then solely for our benefit. He's there to help us just be successful. Just be successful. And what we think is success might be different than God. And this is what we, we see written all throughout scriptures. And in God's conversation, his story to us, all of this. It's not about us. It's actually not about us. It's all about him. Wisdom, joy, success is only found in him, and it's when it's about him. Romans 1.5 says this. It says, it says, Through Christ, God has given us the privilege and authority as apostles to tell Gentiles everywhere about what God has done for them so that they will believe and obey him bringing glory to his name. It's like we have the privilege to tell everybody what God has done for them. Why? So they'll believe him, obey, and bring glory to his name. And that might sound like the worst sequence of events for you. I don't know. You're like, I don't know that that's what religion feels like to you, but this is an invitation into relationship, and it's an invitation into the greatest thing, this greatest person that you could ever pursue. 
greater than anything else that you think will bring you happiness. Jesus told him this. Jesus had been crucified, then he rose from the grave, proving he was the Son of God. He began to appear to his followers, and then before he ascended back into the heaven, he began to give them instructions. And this is what he said. This is found in Matthew 28. He says, Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth, Therefore, with all this authority, he says, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. He says, teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. This is a roadmap to the one who knows how we are made and what will bring us joy. What is happiness? The Beatitudes where Jesus taught, he talked about happy are those who, and he had his whole list. And he says things that were so opposite. He says, happy are those who mourn. (laughs) You know, there are things that we think, oh, how could that make me happy? And that's why we're learning to trust him. And this is not easy to do because it will eventually not make sense to you. It'll be hard or feel like God is not there. It all goes down to the foundation that we stand on. And so I, a skeptic comes in and you may feel this and you say, well, these, these people, you know, like they don't know what we know now. The advances in science and technology and modern discoveries, if they only knew what we knew now, they wouldn't maybe stand Believe God the way that they did. They just didn't know. They were more foolish. To which I say, exactly. If they knew what we knew now, how much stronger would their faith be? It's fascinating. Because I believe it's ultimately foolish to say, if, you, if you're really wise and you pursue it, it's foolish to say, hey, we know best. If there is no God... And we say science is the only answer, and we hear this in our world. Some of you, maybe you push back when I say that, but if, if you, any philosopher worth their salt, he or she has to acknowledge some type of faith-filled existence to why the world is here. You have to recognize it and look at it acknowledge it. And most of the most you know, significant ones do. And I love science, by the way. It's incredible. It's informing. I had a good friend who was really into it, and he would listen to the po- top podcasts of the top scientists, philosophers in the world, and it was amazing what they're constantly figuring out, discovering, and Christ followers should love it, and it's unfortunate that they have kind of been known for not being that way. But if God exists, and there's no fear of what science reveals, and we should look into that, and I love it. And there's all these amazing things, and some of these are basic ones. Like we know the Earth is spinning right now around 1,000 miles per hour around, right? It takes one time around. It's going about 1,000 miles per hour. Now, it differs between how far and close you are to the equator, just so you know. And while that's happening simultaneously, we are revolving around the sun at 66,000 miles per hour. If you thought you were lazy yesterday, you went, you traveled 1.6 million miles yesterday around the sun. Good job. Wow, that's incredible. You did it. And by the way, the sun is also moving. It's all going around the Milky Way. The Milky Way is moving. It's all moving. It's crazy, and it has to. It's all perfectly positioned. And this is just 
It's like the bigger things, not the detailed things. You have to face up to this. Stephen Hawking, I don't know if you've heard of him. He recently passed away a couple years ago. Brilliant mind, incredibly, incredibly wise, understood the universe and math in ways that were amazing. And he wrote a book called A Brief History of Time. And it's a big long title, but he he faces up to this, he acknowledges this. I find it really interesting. He says it would be very difficult to explain why the universe should have begun in just this way except as the act of a God who intended to create beings like us. Because he didn't believe in God, he, but, he, but he had to at least face up to it. He says, the overwhelming impression is one of order. The more we discover about the universe, the more we find that it was governed by rational laws. So you still have the question, why does the universe bother to exist? I like this. He says, if you like... You can define God to be the answer to that question. Now, he, he didn't be suddenly, this is not a statement, if you read this in the short context, it's not like he's about to believe in God. No, he didn't. Despite being confronted with the incredible evidence of him, everything is so rational. It's not just enough to have the, the environment for the world to come up and exist in. Everything's in place. It, it, is, it exists in unbelievable, complex order and laws that are very rational and thought out and it's really interesting to think about. But he 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 refreshingly he acknowledges this. You have to. You have to acknowledge it. What's interesting is the disbelief happens on the other side of the spectrum as well, where those who maybe are very religious. There's a, a pastor writer named Christopher J. H. Wright, and he was talking about this. He, he he interviewed and talked to a pastor in Singapore, and he had someone from the indigenous tribes around the region there um, come to follow Christ, and, they're, and, the, and, and the other tribes recognized that this deity was very tangible and real and working and powerful compared to idols and other things that they were, they were worshiping. And, and they actually rejected and pushed that person away because of this. Instead of, and instead of themselves believing in God, they recognized out loud that this was a powerful being. But the, 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 the others rejected that person instead of being interested. And he, he, he correlates these together. It's fascinating. He says here, he says, Both examples struck me afresh with the astonishing capacity of the human heart for suppressing the truth, even when you're faced with it. He says, Is there, after all, any significant difference in spiritual terms between, like on, on the, the very religious tribes, the religious animus who refuses to turn to Christ, even when fully convinced of his deity and superior power, he says, and a brilliant intellect capable of penetrating conceptually to the very limits of our understanding or the universe, but refusing to believe in the Creator God, virtually staring Him in the face. He's like, is there really a difference between these two scenarios? He's, he talks about in Scripture, the Bible refers to this being a fool, right? Knowing what is right and not doing it. He says in Scripture, fool is also includes the rejection of God. He says, the rejection of God is not a matter of intellectual deficiency, but rather of refusing the truth of God because the implications it inevitably has in other areas of life. I love that statement. So many times, our rejection of God, it's not about the intellectual side of things, it's about how it impacts the other areas of our lives. 
our desire to obey, to follow him. That's what we're like, I don't know. That's what we're like, thanks for all this stuff you've given us. We'll take it from here. (laughs) The other areas of life. The circumstances, the pain that you see in the world, the pain you've experienced in your life. Or health issues or what someone who was religious did didn't reflect God well. And so what we find is we have a creator. And we have to face up to that and say, if there is a creator God, he made this world in incredible order. It shows the intentionality. It also means that he knows how we are made. And what's amazing is it's not just believing in God. He showed us that he has made us for a relationship. So many other cultures and uh, throughout the time have just kind of defined gods as these beings away above us, and they're just, we are there to bid their pleasing. And that kind of one-way relationship just shows that it will oppress us, it'll oppress us, and we're just hoping to find find some way into it. And many times we approach God that way, but God showed us that he was a God who is in relationship, that we, we believe God is in the Trinity, that there's such unified in relationship that they are one, God the Father, Son, the Spirit, and that God is in relationship, and he's made us for that, and he engages us in this way, that he's called you and I to be in relationship with him. The ultimate beauty. This is what we desire. Not the rule chasing, but the God chasing the relationship. This is what we've been called to do, to live for his glory because he is the greatest thing that we could pursue. And we just think, the purpose for me is to live for myself. And you eventually discover how empty that is. You eventually discover that. And so to live off the principles of God will eventually bring you into a cross-section of something that will go against culture around you in some way or another. And that brings us to the other areas of life, and that's why our, what is our foundation? We face up to who He is. And what we've done is we've traded in that truth for what, we, what was a lie that we thought would make us happy. And this is what Paul gets to in Romans 1.25. He says, they traded the truth about God for a lie. So they worshiped and served the things God created instead of the creator himself, who is worthy of eternal praise. And so we rejected him for these other things things that are temporary, things that God made us to enjoy, but we've turned them into an idol, into a God. And so you've been made. So how did God make us? How are we to live? You were made for, by him and for his glory. And he has shown us his incredible beauty. All of his instructions are to bring us back to that original beauty he made the world to be that we messed up, that we brought sin into. That he didn't leave us there. And I hope that you've heard that message in this series is that he's come to, re, to, to be about redeeming us, to restore us. Then all things he wants to restore and to redeem and all the bad decisions, because we've all messed it up. We've all made bad decisions. Sometimes this series is we think about our past. 
If we're learning to engage in the future that God is, is designing in us, and that can only come through submitting to Him. This true loving God gave you and I the freedom to choose. And that's why Jesus came, to come to take the place of us, to die for us, and to take the death that we deserve, the brokenness that we brought in to rejecting God. He sent Jesus to take our place. And God the Son gave up heaven and came down to us like a slave. And when we were faced with God there, it was God with us. When he was with us, he was performing miracles. Many still rejected God. Faced with the absolute truth in front of them. Isn't that interesting? They still, many still rejected him. But many did believe, and God used them to change the history of the world. And God coming to that place and being with us affirmed the relationship. He did that to bring us back to him. Early in the service, I said he's done everything he can so that we not be able to be, be, be with him. That's what Jesus did for us. And it speaks. It means that he cares. It means that he knows us. It means that we can pray to him. It means that we have hope beyond right now. It means that there's a story happening in the world that he's leading you and I towards. It means that he's gifted you. That's what we know in scriptures, that he's called you to live out a purposeful life. He means that he's working in pain. It means that we live with the effects of sin. There's consequences of sin that are not going away, and there's things that we will not be able to explain, and there's pain in the world, and we don't know fully how it's going to work out, but we know that God has promised that he will make it all work out, and we trust him in this. And what gives us that hope is what Christ did, his death and his resurrection. It's not just believing he exists and proving that. What's beautiful is that not only that, that he's invited you and I into a relationship. And so we're learning to follow him. The fear of God, God is the beginning of wisdom. And all who follow his precepts have good understanding. This is what you were invited into. You were invited into a relationship with our Father to follow Christ. This is why we talk about baptism. Because baptism is the first step of obedience after we've come to follow him. It's not some magical thing that we do. It's us saying to God, I'm ready to follow you. This is my first step with you. We first face up to who God is. So I just want to rethink about, recalibrate, redefine, maybe for some of you, what it means to follow Christ and believe in him. You're invited into a relationship. Not because you were good, but because he was. That he took your place. And you can stand on his righteousness, not your own. We don't clean ourselves up. He steps in and begins to do the work in us. That's what grace is. It's your decision to make. Have you taken that step? Maybe that's where you're at in your life. You're ready to follow him. We'd love to talk with you about that. 
You can mark follow Christ on your connection card. We'd love to engage with you or maybe just set up a coffee appointment with us today or just talk with us after the service. We love to engage that with you. Check in online, all that. We love to engage with you. So, get your paintbrush out. Hold it in your fist. This is how we are tempted to live, right? I wish I had an actual one. I should have thought that out. We say, I'll paint what I want. When I want, the way I want. However, the beginning of wisdom is an open hand. Is an open hand. So you take control. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. God, I thank you that you didn't leave us in a place of mystery, wondering, trying to figure out, but you came to us and that we can know. I pray that we would not reject you today. This would be the beginning of wisdom in our life. For the beauty you've made us to experience. Jesus, we love you and we thank you. We ask all of this in your name. Amen.